Hi everyone, in this video we're going back to season number two on the Ajial podcast Nature-Based Solutions in West Asia. We've invited a guest speaker, Marit Khemelo, who's an expert on nature-based solutions with the United Nations Development Program and has worked with over 50 developing countries to enhance their commitments on nature-based solutions and their nationally determined contributions. Listen fully to the seven minutes as she reflects from an expert point of view on the questions we've addressed in season number two. Hi everyone, I'm Marie Tremolet and I work at UNDP, United Nations Development Programme, in promotion of nature-based solutions for development, climate and biodiversity. I really want to thank Youth for Nature for this opportunity to comment on this great podcast series about nature-based solutions in West Asia. It's been wonderful to listen to those two brilliant young women leading nature-based uh, projects with determination, expertise, and passion in, in West Asia. Listening to this really gave me a lot of hope and uh, inspiration for my own work. So I'd like to start by um, reminding the multiple advantages of NBS. So nature-based solutions are defined as actions to protect, sustainably manage, and restore ecosystems that address societal challenges like food and water security, um, disaster risk reduction, and livelihoods and uh, enhancements. So simultaneously providing human well-being and biodiversity benefits. In fact, nature underpins development. Half of the indicators of the sustainable development goals are dependent upon or indivisible from nature. Nature is also a proven cost-effective climate solution. NBS can provide at least one third of our climate mitigation um, solution and um, provide also powerful solutions for climate change adaptation. I really want to emphasize that NBS can and should only be implemented with full recognition of the rights of indigenous peoples and local communities and with their full prior and informed consent. To start, I'd like to provide a few comments on the first episode on desert greening in Jordan. There are indeed many benefits to plant trees and crops in arid regions. Although deserts and dryland habitats in general are largely waterless, they are able to support a great variety of life. Existing initiatives such as intercropping legumes with fruit trees and medicinal plants or developing community pastures for livestock have already increased uh, productivity and incomes of farmers. This NBS can also help with disaster risk reduction. The presence of vegetation can act as a barrier to mitigate extreme weather events such as strong winds, droughts, heat waves, and floods. It also help, uh, helps reduce soil erosion and further desertification. However, I was in disagreement with the idea of monoculture of trees in the desert. Um, NBS need to mimic nature as much as possible, and there are much more benefits uh, in case of multi-crops multi rather than monocultures. Um, they would be much more resistant to pests, better uh, for soil health and for food security and livelihoods. To operate desert greening, we really need to build on local traditions and ancestral knowledge uh, for the benefit of the communities. So really leveraging local responses to local challenges and making sure to use indigenous species that are adapted to the climate rather than invasives. So to answer the question, do you think desert greening activities in West Asia align with the IUCN definition of nature-based solutions? According to IUCN, nature-based solutions should simultaneously provide human well-being and biodiversity benefits. 
In West Asia, there are challenges of food and water security, of soil erosion and desertification. So greening can help address those challenges. However, as Amal rightly said, desert ecosystems are really important and needed. Some scientists have voiced caution about the loss of desert ecosystems due to desert greening. Desert ecosystems, just like any other ecosystems on Earth, have a critical place in our world with its specific biodiversity. So planting trees over deserts can threaten wildlife that depend on the conditions of a desert, and there are risks for local people's livelihoods when working from a top-down approach. So the aim of desert greening should really be to revert desertification and respond to local challenges, but not to change ecosystems. The Great Green Wall is an example of a massive uh, desert greening endeavor that aims to combat desertification uh, in Africa and to restore degraded lands. We really need to be careful um, when exploring those projects uh, they should involve local communities to be sustainable since they can better advise on the potential adverse effects and the benefits uh, that we are looking for with these types of projects. Regarding the second episode on foraging in Lebanon, let's start with what's foraging. So that's uh, the search by hand for food in the wild. Many herbs and plants can be found in nature. And in the Levant region, Sandra mentioned uh, the examples of onion and bulgur, to name a few. There are many benefits of this practice. Um, first, it, suppo it supports um, food security and brings health benefits by providing access to diverse and nutritious plants that are organic. Um, it also provides uh, medicinal benefits and it can bring a source of livelihoods with the example of people selling the herbs. And this is all free. People can access those resources without discrimination. In addition to food and health benefits, there's also a cultural uh, component of it. Um, it's an important part of uh, cultural heritage uh, with a knowledge that is being passed on from generation to generations. Um, this is an excellent example of how we cannot dissociate ecosystem services from culture and traditional knowledge. Otherwise, it can even uh, be dangerous uh, in this case to practice this activity. Among Equator Prize winners uh, at UNDP, we have different examples of successful initiatives led by communities using foraging for their subsistence and for medicinal purposes. Um, for instance, the Medicinal Plant Association uh, protecting endemic species of medicinal plants in the Simcatering Reserve in Egypt um, aims to create livelihood alternatives for the Bedouin population. So to answer the question, how can nature-based solutions be connected with the protection of raging in the Levant? This really takes us back to the definition of NBS, the sustainable management of natural ecosystems is needed for foraging. Sandra mentions how she learned to keep some of the herbs so they multiply and provide new ones uh, the next years. If she takes it all, uh, she prevents the provision for other members of her communities and for herself in the future. So this practice of sustainable foraging is inspired by uh, ancestral knowledge. The protection of natural ecosystems is also key since natural ecosystems enable the local plants to thrive and perpetuate this activity of foraging. For foraging to continue, it really requires valuing the benefits of nature for people. This gives a vision of nature as a common good that brings benefits uh, in the long run. 
So there is really no interest in destroying the ecosystems. It's actually the perfect illustration of how our relationship with nature is codependent. I could go on and on about the benefits of nature-based solutions and how great this podcast is, but I'll stop here. Thank you again, uh, especially to you, Ryan, for your amazing work in leading this podcast. I cannot wait to listen to the next uh, episodes. Thank you.